It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A -a one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. What's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I will be very careful about sling and stuff. Am I going to get sued? We got legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. The last time these two teams met, the Eagles blew a 10-point lead to surrender the Super Bowl to the Kansas City Chiefs. This time around, they overcame a 10-point deficit and got one back on Kansas City, albeit in a trade that I'm pretty sure the Chiefs would take. Super Bowl versus, you know, November Monday night football game. Uh, We're going to get into that game, talk all the storylines coming out of it, as well as some breaking NFL news this morning. Matt Canada, offensive coordinator of the Pittsburgh Steelers, has been fired and do a little bit of a rookie uh, review as well. And to help me do all of that is our guy, Trevor Sikama. How's it going, Trev? It's going good. Um, You know, I was thinking about the game last night, and you're right. It's like, oh, yeah, Philly got one up on him. I mean, if Marquez Valdez-Scanling catches the ball, we're not having this conversation. It's completely different. But, you know, here we are. It feels like that's always what is needed for the Chiefs to not win big games, right? It's almost like people are... People that don't want to see the Chiefs win, that maybe like might be tired of Kansas City winning, you almost have to pray for something out of the ordinary. Like you've got to pray that somebody just drops a pass that they never should have, or that there is a crazy call that should have never happened against Kansas City, or like whatever. Because other than that, even in that game last night, that Philly wins and you go like, "Wow, what a good game by Philly! What a big win, road win, all that." Like Kansas City should have won the game. <laughs> they, 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 they had the play. The ball was in MBS's hands. Like they should have won the game. But yeah, I mean, it's that's kind of how it goes watching the Chiefs these days. It's such a high starting point. You know, Mahomes, Kelsey, Andy Reid, the defense is now playing better than it's ever played before. Like that platform, it's kind of hard to lose games when all that is there, even against a really right. good team like Philadelphia. So it is going to take stuff like that. Um, we're going to get into this game, though, and break it down a little bit more. But first, we need to talk about securing your family's financial future, starting with life insurance. Fabric by Gerber Life makes it quick, easy, and affordable to protect your family so you can get back to enjoying life. Fabric was designed by parents uh, for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. 
Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You could go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in minutes at meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. That's meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash PFFNFL. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company, not available in certain states, prizes subject to underwriting and health questions. I got to say, the, the, okay, Marquez Valdez-Scantling drops that one. Um, the wide receiver room in Kansas City, everyone's been concerned about it, you know, since the offseason, maybe since beyond that. It's becoming a bigger and bigger problem. Patrick Mahomes is down so bad that he's in the press conference saying, man, maybe if I just threw that pass a little bit shorter, made it easier to catch, it's like, dude, come on. You found the touchdown catch to win the game, put it in the guy's hands, and he drops it. That's, that's not on you. I understand you kind of have to say nice things in the press conference rather than throw the receivers under their bus. But, right. you know, Mahomes is doing what he can, and the receivers are not helping him out. Yeah, I mean, he he can't really say anything else, right? That's that's what you would expect a quarterback to say, that Patrick Mahomes would say. But, yeah, I mean, you're paying MVS, what, $10 million a year to, to catch that exact ball? And he yeah. did in the playoffs last year. I know a lot of people are, like, clowning him for missing it um, th- this time around. But uh, I can't remember if it was in the AFC Championship game or whichever game. Like, he, he went off and had a massive catch that was a major difference maker for them. So it's, it's not like he's never made that catch before. But the drops have been an issue for him, and the drops, I think, are an issue for a lot of these receivers. Like, Justin Watson, like, okay, he's a, he's a nice wide receiver. I, I can't believe they're sitting here giving Justin Watson 11 targets a game. You know, like, I, I remember watching Justin Watson when he was in Tampa because he was drafted by Tampa, and he was like, okay, this is a bottom-of-the-depth chart kind of a wide receiver who's going to play some special team stuff for you, and he's over here leading the Chiefs in the, the one of the biggest regular season games that they have. I mean, it just it shouldn't be uh, the rest of their team. And it's not like they haven't tried, right? I think. A lot of us like the Sky Moore selection when he was drafted uh, not too long ago. That hasn't really panned out. He hasn't become that receiver that we wanted him to be. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, obviously, we've talked about here. They bring back Miko Hardman because he's a familiar face, but he's not like this major difference maker for them. Uh, they trade for Kadarius Tony, and we thought that that was going to be a big move. So, like, they've done a lot of things to try to help it. But, you know, outside of getting in a time machine and going back in time and somehow telling DeAndre Hopkins to sign with the Chiefs this offseason, like, I don't really know what else they would have realistically done. This is kind of like the unit that they've had. They're just all not playing really well. I mean, you draft Rasheed Rice where you have, and I think they're thankful for how well he has been able to play as a rookie because without Rasheed Rice, I mean, this team is bad at receiver. And I mean, like, even with Rasheed Rice, this team is bad at wide receiver. So, I do a lot of mock drafts and I have a lot of draft conversations with people and it just seems more and more and more they're going to be drafting a receiver at some point in this draft, wherever it is. Yeah, it takes like several misses to get into the situation they're in. Obviously, you can trace it all the way back to determining that they're going to go and trade away Tyreek Hill and, and that decision in and of itself. But let's assume that that's not a bad move just because of the situation they're in now. Like, there were things that needed to happen between that and where they are now for this to, to be the realization of what they are. Last season, they didn't have Tyreek Hill either, and it's, it didn't matter, you know what I mean? So that that's not, I think, the root cause of where we are. But it's, 
you know, Kadarius Tony hasn't managed to become anything more than just a gimmick guy within that offense. Same with Miko Hardman. Sky Moore, you, you draft him with a high second-round pick. <clears throat> I love that pick. I, I cannot believe how bad he's been in this offense, but he's just taking up space now. I mean, he's averaging yep. less than 0.9 yards per route run. They're finally scaling down his workload, but he's been like either the first or the second receiver in terms of playing time in this offense and doing almost nothing with it. Like, yeah. unbelievable how inconsequential he's been on the field. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, I think, is uh, like he actually has a useful role, but that role is now being minimized because of the way defenses are fighting back, right? the His one trick is being taken away. So you have like a designated big play deep threat in a, in a league where explosive plays are being taken off the table by defenses. So mm. now he's in this situation where he's getting like two targets a game. And if he drops one of them, like they lose the game. That's basically what we're talking about with Marquez Valdez-Scantling at the moment. Um, and yeah, like everything has gone south with the exception of Rasheed Rice. And now they're in this situation where you've got another second round rookie after Sky Moore didn't work out. But like they need to... Rasheed Rice needs to be their number one receiver in terms of playing time because they might need, forget what's happening now, they might need to rely on Rasheed Rice in January and February. And if they can accelerate, oh, yeah. accelerate his development and his growth, he needs to be playing every snap they can get him right now because that's the important part of this. Well, I think he plays a decent amount. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, but not like, I mean, even last night, right? He, we reached the point where we're finally scaling back on Sky Moore, but. Uh, Valdez Gantling and Justin Watson had more receiving snaps than Rasheed Rice last night. Like, he needs to be number one. The only guy that should be playing more than him right now is Travis Kelsey because he's still their number one target. Yeah. No, and it, you know, again, it's kind of funny. We're, we're sitting here talking about how awful, like truly awful, the receiver room is in Kansas City. And again, Valdez Gantling catches that one pass, they win this game. We're, we're we're having a probably completely different conversation. It doesn't change that the wide receiver room was bad. It doesn't change all the rest of the drops that they had throughout the night. But like we go into this morning talking about this show, like look at what the Kansas City Chiefs are able to do with a terrible receiver room. They're still able to go out and beat the Philadelphia Eagles uh, in a primetime matchup. So it's still right there for them, right? I mean, I still think yeah. that this team is – Probably the most dangerous team in the NFL, honestly, given how much I feel like the supporting cast has let Patrick Mahomes down this year, and yet they continue to have this success. If you just regress a little bit, well, not regress, progress maybe to the mean. I know people say like regression to the mean, but this is like progressing to the mean. Then uh, this is obviously still one of the best teams in the NFL. But yeah, it's got to be addressed this offseason. A lot of the swings that you took, they have not worked out. Scott Moore has not worked out. Um like we mentioned, Kadarius Tony has not worked out. Valdez Scantling kind of is, like you said, a one-trick pony. Uh, you bring back Miko Hardman because you didn't really have any other options. Travis Kelsey is – I'm not saying that like he's starting to like fall off a cliff because I think that last night was just a bad game from him. He's just had really good games throughout the season. But um, how much longer can you really think, that, like, yeah, yeah, we got Kelsey as, as the top receiver option. Like, we're good to go. I think that you have to allocate a major resource, whether it's in cap space or in – the NFL draft into the receiver position because it's he, he, Justin Watson. All due respect, of course, Justin Watson can't be getting eleven targets against the Eagles on primetime Monday Night Football. Like, it just your receiver room's got to be better than that. You've got to do better by your generational quarterback to 
have a better offense and a better cast than that. Um, yeah, it's worth making the point that even if Marquez Valdez-Scantling catches that ball, they score the touchdown, they go up. The Eagles have 90 seconds or whatever it is to answer. They might not still win the game, but they would have taken the lead with you know minimal time on the clock. In a game where defenses were winning on both sides, you would like their chances of holding it in that situation. And it kind of brings me around to like what a weird game that was generally. It, it didn't look like a rematch of the Super Bowl. Defenses were winning, but I don't know that defenses were necessarily doing anything special necessarily. The rain, I'm sure, was a contributing factor um, mm-hmm. to both the drops and just general offensive inefficiency. Like Kansas City was suffering with drops. Philadelphia just were suffering with weird play calls. I mean, Peyton Manning on the Manning cast, this is a sort of derivative of Indianapolis's offense back in the day. Like if you trace the, the coaching steps and the tree, the plays are the same, right? So he's calling out and describing the plays that they're running and is confused by the plays that they're running. He's like, why why are we running this sequence of bubble screens, none of which are having any success? And this offense for Philadelphia, I mean, it's really a couple of big plays, and that's it. It's They got that one bomb to Devontae Smith that they got. You know, they had a nice play to DeAndre Swift, but – Philadelphia's offense did not have success outside of a couple of just spurts uh, over the course of 60 minutes. Yeah, I don't know. I, when I watched this game last night, I thought that these were two really good teams. I think you mentioned it. We're it, It's more of a defensive season than it certainly has been in recent years in this league. And I think that we're just seeing that all across the board. Offenses are down in general. So when I watched this team, I thought that these were still two really good offenses that I do believe the rain affected both of these teams. Uh, certainly the drops really hurt Kansas City, but I also just felt like these defenses were playing really well. So to me, this was a very evenly matched top-tier matchup. I know it didn't look like the Super Bowl because the offensive execution for both teams wasn't as stout, as you mentioned, but I still came away watching this game with like, these are the best two teams in the NFL. Like, you could just send them to the Super Bowl if you want. I think it's going to be these two teams. Because I, I, I do believe that they're the most talented in each of their conferences. So, um, I didn't feel as much of a, like, man, this isn't the same. These aren't, like, this isn't the matchup that we saw in the Super Bowl. It was a different game, certainly. But I still came away thinking these are the two best teams and we could very well see a Super Bowl rematch. No, it wouldn't surprise me at all if this was a preview of the Super Bowl. I think there will be a few other teams in the mix, but definitely – it's absolutely one of the most likely outcomes. Um, but mm-hmm. what it was, I think, was another game where the theme for both these teams over the course of the year is the offense hasn't quite been right. And with Kansas City, there's an obvious explanation of they have no wide receivers. Um, for Philadelphia, it's a little more difficult to pinpoint, uh, but it hasn't been the way it was last year. It hasn't been firing on all cylinders. Typically, it's been... Uh, sputtering, and then they they find a bomb to A.J. Brown this season. This game, Mm -hmm. it was a bomb to Devontae Smith, but the same kind of idea. Like, it hasn't had the kind of slick success that it had last year. And and in this game in particular, the play calling was strange, but also, like, just simple overthinking. Like, they had a third and one and decide not to go with the tush push, right? Why? I mean, this is an unstoppable play. <laughs> Why? <laughs> well, then they come back to it later, and honestly, that seemed to spark the offense. Like, they actually relied on the push play for a play a drive or two later, and suddenly, like, they, they seem to get a bit of belief again. Like, hey, this remember, this play is unstoppable. We're unstoppable. Like, 
why on earth? I get it. It was third and one and a bit, right? It wasn't like a short one yard. It was one and then some. But like we saw with the play down by the end zone, that that push play is good for two yards in most oh, situations. More than that, yeah. dude. I'm 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 watching some of these tush push plays. I'm like, if you ran a Madden simulation where they were only allowed to do that play, do they win the football game? <laughs> like against like if they're playing, you know, if, if they're if the Eagles, if you set up. Uh, the average, and I'll see, I mean, like the average is tough, obviously, because they're just trying to gain a yard and nothing else. But if you basically put the Philadelphia Eagles against the Carolina Panthers and said, okay, the Eagles are only allowed to do the tush push, do they win that game? Because I think it's close. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like I, I think I, it's close. I said this a while ago on Twitter that the thing that, that will get that play banned is not, um, you know, it's not player safety it's none of that stuff it's when they realize that it's good from like two two or three yards and they right. just start chewing clock with it like if they're up right. in a game in the fourth quarter then they just spend eight minutes doing the tush push and nothing else and getting two and a half it, yards every play right because if you what was the percentage the percentage is like i think they've converted like 53 out of 59 or something so it's like okay you know it's at least good for a yard yeah. at an insanely high clip it's probably good for at least two yards, and there's going to be some plays where you get enough push where the defensive line is so gassed or doesn't get the right leverage where you're getting three-ish yards per play. If you go into a mindset of, we have four downs to do this, I think they're getting a first down maybe every single time. And I don't know, maybe I'm just like way over-exaggerating the success of it when you would set up a scenario like that. Well, that's... But, I do kind of, but I do kind of agree with you. Like, yeah. if they get into a situation where... They've got to burn a lot of clock. Just start doing that. See what it is. Like, complete one pass, get to, or shoot, just run the ball traditionally, get into second and six, and you know you've got three more downs to get the first down. Just tush-push all three times. And there's not really a risk of fumbling. Right. You're advancing the ball two to three yards every time. You know you're going to get a first down. You know the clock's going to run. So that's actually a good point. I didn't really think about the clock-eating strategy, but uh, that is an interesting one. If they got yeah, if they got anything more than three yards on first down, I, I would just keep running it until you pick up the next first down and start all over again. Um, and that's what made the third and one call where they just ran like a normal um, sort of zone read play from shotgun, I think. So weird, like... Okay, it was a long one, but number one, it'll probably work anyway. And number two, it's third and one, not fourth and right. one. So just run it twice right. if it doesn't work. You will yeah. like guaranteed to pick it up by doing it twice. And for some reason, they didn't. Just a weird play-calling strategy for Philadelphia that seemed to be their problem like all the way through the game. It was, I don't know, it was just a strange game from, from their point of view, but one that they got away with and won the game. And now... The only quarterback still this season, I think, to beat Philadelphia is Zach Wilson, right? <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Does Zach Wilson have the best win in the NFL? Remember last year when Zach he Wilson's to, like, right? best game was, was Buffalo? Like, Zach Wilson's resume of wins is actually absurd. He loses against everybody else, but his wins are genuinely right. against really good teams. Well, it's an encapsulation of how frustrating it is when you watch Zach Wilson, right? I mean, what, I, I can't remember which game it was. It was either last week or the week before. But if you just watched Wilson's top five throws, you'd be like, this guy's sick. Like, he's a franchise quarterback. This guy's amazing. But outside of those top five throws, he's 
horrendous. He's literally he's losing you the game. So that's you know we don't talk about him anymore because now we got Tim Boyle. Now we have uh, the ultimate Aaron Rodgers backup being called into duty once again. Tim Boyle has one of the most fascinating careers I've ever seen in my life. He has never in college or the NFL had a season with more touchdowns and interceptions. And yet he's going to be starting an NFL football game. Never? Never. He doesn't have a single college or NFL season with more touchdowns than he has interceptions to his name. Damn. Right. And now the man's starting an NFL football game <laughs> again. How is it? Wait, how is this possible? Yeah. Wait, where's the Netflix documentary on this? Uh-huh. How, what are we doing? It's insane. It makes no you know, sense. To, to be a good backup quarterback... You just have to be a really good friend. To Aaron Rodgers. You know? Yeah. You just got to be a really good friend. Like, you just got to be a bro. You know, like, you just got to be, you just got to be a likable guy. You got to be the funny dude in the locker room. And the franchise quarterback's going to carry you around everywhere. That's You're- good. You know, I should, I should start evaluating backup quarterbacks differently when I'm scouting them. Like if I get to the point where I'm talking about a sixth rounder and beyond, like a guy who's going to be absolutely a career backup dude in the NFL, I've just got a completely different scale. Like I don't have a numerical judgment scale for like, okay, what's the arm strength, the accuracy, the decision-making I've just got, are you funny? Are you a good friend? Do you show up on time? Do you have a lot of coaching cliches? How many notebooks do you own? You know, like, what's your favorite? How many how many lines of the movie Tommy Boy can you quote off the top of your head? You know, like, that's just, that's the categories we're talking about. That's what you need to have to make it, apparently. Right. Where where are you sourcing the snacks from? Like, those kinds of questions. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, um, there's a few of these quarterbacks. It's not quite as bad as this, but, like, Kyle Baller's college stats are insane. Like, the idea that that guy was ever a first-round draft pick based off his college career are, is nuts. I mean, that he... He was drafted in the first round because he threw a football 50 yards from his knees, not because of anything we saw in his college <laughs> career. He had one season where he had like a, a, a significantly better touchdown uh, number than interception number. And that year, he completed 53% of his passes for 6.7 yards per attempt. Like Kyle Baller's marquee signature season was crappy. And yet the guy went in the first round and was, uh, you know, an all-time bust. You know? You just can't teach arm talent. Mm, can't teach it, and that's where, and that's where, and that's, and that's, and that's what the NFL draft is all about. Unfortunately, yeah, there have right. been a lot of bad quarterbacks who could throw the football very far, <laughs> who get drafted way higher than they deserve to get drafted. All right, this podcast is brought to you by Prize Picks. Now, Tyler, producer extraordinaire, did the Prize Picks for uh, this week, Monday night, and apparently mm-hmm. went one for three. So not a vintage day for our guy, Tyler Sovchek. Uh, I think Mahomes was the only one of those things that actually came off the other ones. Jalen Hurts, apparently not the rushing threat you thought he would be. Um, so bad day for Tyler. We'll see if he uh, pitches it back to somebody else or if he tries to. He was to... close. Hurts was close. Yeah. He, got tw- he had 29 rushing yards. Close doesn't get you anything, though, Ty- uh, Trev. Close gets you nothing. Gets you mock. Close does keep you thinking that you should continue to bet though that's you know? what it does anyway so we'll see if he redeems himself or pitches it back to somebody else that might have more success um but also with the basketball season here you can now pick combo projections maybe that's how tyler's going to redeem himself start mm. threading in basketball to his football picks um 
from the specials league on price picks a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues for example lebron james and travis kelsey at a 10 and a half combo of three pointers made and catches want to play alongside some of price picks favorite players like rapper meek mill and comedian andrew schultz you can now find community plays under the promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the price picks community each week price picks even offers a reboot policy so your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. For football and basketball games, if you have a player who exits the game in the first half and does not return in the second, that player is rebooted. PrizePix is the only daily fantasy sports platform with an injury insurance policy. Go to prizepix.com forward slash PFFNFL and use code PFFNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, that's prizepix.com forward slash PFFNFL and use code PFFNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. All right, Trevor. The Band-Aid has been ripped off the Pittsburgh Steelers offense. Matt Canada has been fired uh, mere days after Mike Tomlin was was being fairly steadfast in his support of the offense. So there we go. There's the statement from uh, Mike Tomlin. Matt Canada has been relieved of his duties as offensive coordinator. I appreciate Matt's hard work and dedication, and I wish him the best moving forward in his career. What do you make of this decision? Feels like it was two years too late. You know, it feels, it feels like this should have been done a long, long time ago. And I'm not going to sit here and say that being an offensive coordinator, a play caller in the NFL is easy. But um, very clearly, like Canada was not going in the right direction with this team. And it's it's always a how should I say this? The most dangerous thing a franchise can do is kind of like drink their own Kool-Aid, right? I mean, like if, if you happen to have the ball bounce your way a couple of extra times and and you know that you're getting lucky here and there, the worst thing that you can do is totally buy into a lot of that luck and think it's replicable. Steelers, and I don't mean this as, a, as too much of an insult because I still think Mike Tomlin is an incredible head coach and what he has done over the last two decades in this league has been unbelievable when it's come to success. But certainly as of late, the they've had a lot of luck, I think, to get to that streak of being above high 500 or not below 500, right? And it just feels as though there was a big push to say, like, no, 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 we're fine, we're fine. No, Canada's good, the offense is good, we're good to go. Look at this, look at our record, look how we're winning these games. And um, it's really dangerous when you when you do that. I, I think that it's really dangerous when you're kind of like sipping the Kool-Aid of a team that you know that is is playing above expectation, having a little bit more luck. Because you need luck to win in this league, but you don't want that to be a pivotal strategy of how you are winning games. You don't want it to be like, oh, okay, well, if luck's not on our side today, we're screwed. And it just felt, it feels as though the Pittsburgh Steelers, defense is a little bit of a different story, but offense especially, if luck's not on their side on offense, not not good, good, good and for the last two years. And so that's why... It feels as though, as though the arrow, the arrow is the arrow has been painted for a long time now. But Mike Tom might put it off, just put it off, just off, just and I just and I think a record wins and losses. That's all that matters. And I just and I just just no coach, but it's I feel like he was kind of sticking a little bit with the offense, a bit with the offensive with the offensive coordinator. coordinator. To me, this is long overdue. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, and we talked about this uh, a little bit um, <clears throat> on yesterday's show, like. The Steelers and Tomlin were in a tricky position because uh, 
I think a lot of Tomlin's mystique and like the the reason there he has more success than a lot of other coaches is all the intangible stuff that is difficult to quantify but definitely real. Like as much as we want to focus on play calling, fourth down decision making, clock management in game, all this stuff which is important. There's also there has to be a huge element of leading a room fostering a culture, getting people to buy in, like motivating a group of 90 people plus over the course of a week and sustaining that week on week on week, all this kind of stuff, right? And like, I don't know how much you disrupt that if you mess with the belief, right? Like how much of that is simply everybody buying into what you're doing and saying, no, it doesn't matter how, how much we're getting ripped by the external noise, by the media, by everybody else, like we believe so it's okay. But so if you fire a guy, you immediately say, actually, we don't believe. We recognize something is wrong. Does that erode everything? Like, does that pull the rug out from your entire thing that you've built up? This like fake uh, belief system based off things that weren't necessarily there. Like, have you almost got to keep the blinkers on and say, we just have to get through to the other side because that's the only way this thing exists. I, 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 but now he's, he's obviously recognized okay, I have to do this, even if it ha- even if it risks like undermining everything I've built up over the last six months. Being able to admit mistakes is an important thing to do, um, not just as a football coach, but also in life. You know, like you, you've got to be able to understand that like you're not going to make perfect decisions all the time. And um, just because you had a belief in something doesn't mean that that belief was necessarily wrong at the beginning, but you don't want to continue to go down a path that you know is not going the right direction out of stubbornness right you don't want to do things out of pride and i'm not sitting here i I don't want to like sit here and make it like i'm oh i'm accusing like tomlin of this and i don't know everything that's going on behind the scenes i think there's a ton of things that go on behind the scenes of a football team in an nfl operation that uh that we don't hear about but the on the field product was not good enough like straight up that that's that is if you just want to judge it on how things came out on Sunday, sure, they were getting more wins than they probably should have been. But like even the offense like really struggled most of the time. It was not efficient. It was not good. It was not progressive. It was often behind the times on a lot of things, um, refusing to attack over the middle of the field. And I don't know if that's a Kenny Pickett thing or a Matt Canada thing. I guess we're about to see. But right. I mean, just in, insane. I looked this up the other day. Pickett has actually was this. Can't remember if I looked this up yesterday. I think I looked this up yesterday. Jimmy Garoppolo still has more throws over the middle this season than Kenny Pickett does. And Jimmy Garoppolo has played half the games that Kenny Pickett has. Right. And it's just like, that's a quarterback that's very confident in rhythm, very confident attacking all three layers of the field. And they just never did that at Pittsburgh. So yeah. Tommy DeVito yeah. has the same number of touchdowns as Kenny Pickett. Yeah. This it's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> touchdowns, touchdowns are a little bit deceiving, although that is a that is a just an A plus troll headline to just be able to tweet <laughs> that bad boy out. Like that is just A plus bait right there for some good old fashioned engagement. But I would say like attempts and completion percentage, adjusted completion percentage, of course, of how efficient you are attacking these three areas of the field, whether it's outside the numbers on the left and right, or it's over the middle, attacking over the middle is really, really important because you have to be a team that is a, that stresses the defense out over the middle of the field. And again, I don't know if it's just Kenny Pickett or if it was a Matt Canada thing, but the Steelers did not do it. 
And that is what I'm really looking forward to seeing most with this offense coordinator change. Does that also change in Pittsburgh? Because if it does and they start having success over the middle of the field, then good Lord, they should have gotten rid of Matt Cannon a long, long time ago. But if you don't have that, then um, yeah, you're, you're just, you're just holding your passing offense back. Yeah. It's a glaring weakness of this offense. Like they do not target the middle of the field, which, okay, is generally, I think a bad thing. Like, forget whatever period you're looking at if you're simply not targeting one of like a significant area of the field it's not good um it'll it it, a it leaves a lot of meat on the bone b it's actively funneling the defense towards where you are targeting so it makes everything harder and i think that's only getting a bigger problem in you know this nfl like today's nfl all the best offenses like the current schemes that are dominating are doing the exact opposite. They are funneling things into the middle of the field. They're targeting it more than it's ever been targeted before. So the thing that your system is known for is the exact antithesis of what everybody else that's successful is doing right now. It's insane that that hasn't adjusted at any point um, since he's had that job. And it's probably not a coincidence that every quarterback in that system has struggled. And you know, everyone's like Kenny Pickett has taken some crap recently because his numbers are not good. And because Tommy DeVito has the same number of touchdowns as him. And it's like, well, Kenny Pickett's the problem. He's not the answer anymore. Now, okay, he might not be elevating it. He might not be overcoming the problem. But I think by far the first problem was Matt Canada's system. And now we're going to get a better idea of what Kenny Pickett and George Pickens and Calvin Austin and Deontay Johnson and Pat Fryermuth and Jalen Warren and like this good group of skill position players can actually achieve by themselves. Yeah, and that's that's really important, right? I mean, if you have a quarterback who's struggling, you have offensive coordinator questions, especially for a quarterback that you drafted in the first round is on the second year of a rookie deal. You got to figure out whether this guy's the guy or not, right? And, and I think that right now, there's a lot of people who are jumping off the Kenny Pickett train. They're, they're saying like, hey, this is not the guy to lead this franchise. And there is at least a defense to say, well, it's not Kenny, it's Matt Canada. It's this offense. And what you can't have happen is you cannot get into year three, year four of a rookie contract with a quarterback and still not know whether or not he's the guy. You've got, you have to be at least moving in the right direction for that to be the case. And this to me is a move where you do this to figure out what you have in Kenny Pickett. That's why you fire Matt Canada. When you certainly it wasn't good enough in all facets, you want to continue to win football games. Like that's, that's a part of it. But I wonder if this is, Maybe a decision that came from above Mike Tomlin, where it's like, hey, man, we drafted this quarterback in the first round. We still don't even know if he's the guy for us because this offense that he is operating in is so flawed. So you have to do what you need to do to figure out whether or not Kenny Pickett is the guy for us moving forward. And I think that that maybe maybe that is what spurns such a change in the middle of the season here for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, and it's worth pointing out that whether or not it was Tomlin or from above him, just how institutionally rare this is for Pittsburgh. Like, there are teams where firing coaches midway through the season is not doesn't register. It's something they do. It will happen. It's entirely expected. Like, people were, were adamant that Tomlin would not fire this guy midseason because the Steelers do not do that. How much do they not do it? Well, Schefter had this tweet that said, this is the first in-season coaching change the Steelers have made since 1941, right? 
And then the absolute crowning glory that the the nugget at the end of that was the last time the Steelers fired a head coach slash coordinator midseason was in 1941 when the team's half owner, Burt Bell, fired himself. So, I mean, <laughs> A, that's a spectacular little nugget. And B, you know, this hasn't happened on this franchise since the 1940s. And ownership is aware of that. Mike Tomlin has been there since 2007. So what is that, 16 years? Mike Tomlin is aware of that. Everybody is acutely aware that this is not what this franchise does. So for them to determine that it's got so bad, we need to get rid of this guy midseason, is a huge statement. Yeah, and again, it's to me, it comes down to Pickett. That's why you make the change when you did, because you feel as though you cannot waste any more time here not knowing whether or not he is the guy. I don't know if they're looking at this upcoming draft pool of quarterbacks and saying, hey, there's a lot of quarterbacks that we could take here, maybe not in the first round, but maybe at some point throughout day two and day three, if we feel like we need to, then we will. Uh, I don't know if there's a free agent quarterback that's becoming available that they might like, a Kirk Cousins, maybe a Justin Fields. I, I don't I don't really know. But it's very clear that they did not want to wait for a new offensive coordinator next year to figure out whether or not Kenny was the guy. Right. These last, whatever it is, seven games of this regular season are huge for whether or not Pickett's going to be the starter for them moving forward. Well, that noise you hear is not the sound of celebrating Pittsburgh fans. It's not a bird. It's not a plane. It's the most revolutionary ball trimmer the world has ever seen. Gentlemen, our friends over at Manscaped have been working night and day to bring you a below-the-waist grooming experience like no other with their brand-new Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. We're talking about a next-generation trimmer with interchangeable blade heads for whatever shave your mind can imagine. AI is cool, but I think we've finally hit the biggest technological advancement the world has ever seen. Upgrade your grooming game to the Ultrasphere this year by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF. High tech for low places, that's Manscaped. Every man knows how scary it can get when going for a close shave below the belt. That's why I trust Manscaped for all my sensitive areas. Inside this package, you will find the star of the show. The Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra, their fifth generation trimmer, features two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blade heads, a standard one for taking just a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. We also have dual LED spotlights to provide contrast on multiple skin tones, three length setting combs, and oh, did I mention this trimmer is waterproof too. So no more wet shaving down there, count me in. Taking it on the go, Manscaped has you covered. This puppy comes with a travel case and even a travel lock feature to avoid any accidental powering on and or weird looks in the airport, at least above and beyond whatever you normally get. This right here is on the cutting edge of cutting pubes. Upgrade your ball trimmer and your life will follow. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. I can promise you've never seen a ball trimmer look like a spaceship. Get yours today from our folks over at Manscaped. All right, Trev, we've hit, what, week 11, under uh, all wrapped up, uh, wrapped up under the tree there. I see you've hit Christmas already. It's November 21st. It's Christmas time. I'm not, I'm just going to leave that right there. Some, some Listen, might suggest we're, that's we're, too we're, early. We're traveling for the holidays. We're going to see my family for the holidays. So we wanted to, like, when we got back, 
boom we're hitting the ground running baby it's christmas season so yeah got the tree up this week got to do it all right that makes sense that's at least a justifiable excuse i like that I, yeah. can, I can i can respect that um but anyway it means we've seen 11 weeks worth of these rookies so i thought it would be an interesting experiment to kind of contrast what our pre-draft rankings were for a couple of positions and then how you would adjust that now after 11 weeks this is a you know, non-knee-jerk reaction podcast here, and yet I think it's clear that we've had enough evidence at this point that you should make some adjustments to the rankings, right? The question yeah. is, how much? And then also, we'll wrap this up by just a general top five of what rookies have impressed you the most. So the two positions I think make the most sense to do this with are wide receiver um, and then quarterbacks. So how do you want to do this? Do you want to? Uh, will I start with mine, what my ori- original rankings were, and then what my new top five would be? Yeah, do you want to do, uh, you could pick quarterback, wide receiver first, doesn't matter. Let's go wide receiver, because I think that's the one where, wide receiver's interesting because you get an absolute ton of playing time from guys, right? You can see an absolute load of evidence from all these guys, and the transition is so seamless these Mm -hmm. days from a lot of receivers. So my original draft rankings, pre-draft rankings, Jordan Addison, number one, Jackson Smith and Jigba, number two, Quinton Johnston, number three, Tank Dell, number four, and Josh Downs, number five. Um, My rankings now, I think I'm going to stick with Jordan Addison, number one. I still have seen enough of him that I have faith he'll be an elite receiver. Tank Dell is now my number two. I was too low on him, even though I had him number four. Um, The real loser, though, is Quentin Johnston, who I was low on and evidently not low enough. He drops out of my top five entirely. Puka Nakua jumps up to number three, having been absolutely nowhere on my rankings. Um, right. Keeping JSN at number four now. And then Rasheed Rice jumps into my top five. I liked Rasheed Rice at the time, but found his tape so strange that I couldn't figure out a place to rank him properly. Uh, mm-hmm. So that would be my top five after 11 weeks of evidence. Okay. All right. Man, getting all right. So, so Nakua is all the way up there. I guess that 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 makes sense for how well he has played. Nakua is in my new top five, but um, as a draft guy, I can't be too. There, I'm gonna be harsh on Quentin Johnson, but there's a couple other guys that I have in my top five that it's like okay, it's still only halfway through their rookie right. year. So if we're redrafting them, I don't I don't have a huge shakeup in my wide receivers, but uh, the Tank Dell one, man. Tank is Tank is so awesome. Yeah. I had Tank at like wide receiver eleven, and it was one of those things where it's just like, dude, elite body control, elite separation, elite start start ability, but he's just so small. Yeah, and this I thought the same with Jordan Addison, and I had Jordan Addison. We'll see in a second. I I had Jordan Addison as my wide receiver five. And it, was, it wasn't because I didn't like his tape. Obviously, there's a Belitnikoff winner when he was at Pittsburgh. He was great when he was at Caleb Williams at USC. I just wondered, like, are you able to separate as much when you are now going up against NFL-level secondary speed every single week? And do you have the ability to get off press coverage and, and really maintain that type of separation level? And he does. So this draft class has already become... You know, people talk about, hey, like, who are guys that maybe you missed on or were lower on that you learned from? This has already felt like it's been a season where it's taught me a little bit of, hey, at wide receiver, you could be a size, you could be a size outlier and you could still win as long as you are phenomenal at separation. As long as you have great body control, you're a really good route runner, like you can make up for it. Because those are two guys who love their tape, 
I just didn't know what to think about them as yeah. 0th percentile weight type of players. I Yeah, I love Tank Dell's tape, but the question is exactly what you're saying, right? It's like, does that function at the next level when you're facing bigger, stronger, faster athletes and they know how to deal with that and there's less space to work in? As soon as the answer was evidently yes, then he immediately like catapults up your rankings. And I'm so mad at myself that in the original rankings, I didn't have Dell over Quentin Johnston. Like, I, I liked it's, his it's tape. It's so hard to have a guy who weighs like 150 pounds but like, above Quentin I, Johnson. I liked his tape much better. Like, I didn't yeah. like Quentin Johnson's tape. I love Tank Dell's tape. And literally the only reason I didn't have it was, you know, Quentin Johnson is prototypical NFL size. Tank Dell is prototypical middle schooler size. And I just can't, I can't do that. And now yeah. I'm like, it would have been, I would have looked so great if I had Tank Dell over Quentin Johnson. I couldn't pull that trigger. So I'm hey, stuck with him at four. You you had, you had him top four though, so I love it, man. That's awesome. That was a that was a fantastic call by you. Okay, you want to go, you want to see mine? Yeah. What do you got? Okay, so my pre-draft rankings, I remember, like again, we're halfway through a rookie season, so I'm not gonna change a ton because I still like all of well. <laughs> So my pre-draft rankings, number one, I had Jackson Smith and Jigba. Mm -hmm. uh, number two is where I had Quentin Johnston. Number three, I had Zay Flowers. Number four, I had Josh Downs. And number five, I had Jordan Addison. If I was reordering them, redrafting them right now, mm -hmm. I'd still have JSN at number one. I've got to stick with it. He had the wrist injury. I mean, he looked great in the preseason. He's looked great as of late. I think he's still going to be an absolute stud. So I'm going to stick with him at number one. I'm going to move Jordan Addison up to number two, though, because of what he has been for that Minnesota Vikings team and, and, and how he has shown that the lower weight profile is not stopping him from getting open and being a big play player. So I got him at two. I'm sticking with Zay Flowers at three. I know that Zay Flowers kind of struggled with some drops, and he's still coming along, but this is a dude who I think moves so uniquely, so explosively. I feel as though he has the chance to just be – an elite route runner in the game. So I'm still sticking with him at number three. I think the same about Josh Downs. This was the one that I almost switched. I almost switched Downs for Flowers because what I have seen, especially over the last couple of weeks from Josh Downs, I absolutely love. He is to a T nailing the type of player that I thought he would be as an elite quick hit player, as a slot guy especially. So immediate success and kind of envision of what he has already become. I almost put him at number three, but I kept him at four just to say, I don't want to give up on my pre-draft rankings just yet. And then I do have Puka Nakua at five. Tank Dell would have been right there as the next guy in. Both of those dudes have been incredibly productive here. But the reason why I have Nakua at five, and I rewatched a lot of these guys last night, is because, you know, I want to give Nakua all the credit in the world. The work that he has clearly put in already within that offense to know that playbook, the chemistry with Matthew Stafford, like all of that, is turning into one hell of a season for this dude. But when I watch Nakua, it's not like he's this like unique athlete. You yeah. know, I, 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 he's just what the best ability that he has right now is his work ethic is clearly just through the roof. Like clearly he is wanting to be a carbon copy of what Cooper Cup is and how reliable he could be with Matthew Stafford. So he's just at the right place at the right time. There's a lot of schemed up yards that he gets as well. So those four guys that I have ahead of him, I think are all more physically gifted than Puka Nakua is. So I thought that pre-draft, I'm still going to say that now. But that's my list, and, and that's what I'm sticking with here if I'm doing a redraft. Yeah, I, I think so. 
the Puka Nakua thing is interesting because you're like, if you're just looking at production, he would be a number one guy in a redraft, right? But both of us would sort of look at it and say, it's not, I mean, you can't sort of say his ceiling is lower because obviously they show that they, if they feed him the ball, he can lead the league in production. But it's more, I think some of these other guys have a broader skill set and can win in more ways, right? They, so I think that's why I think you definitely put him in the top five, but projecting forward what the next five years are going to look like, it's probably not one. Uh, you know, for for neither of for either of us, right? Because um, I asked you specifically, I was like, "Are we ranking how these players have played so far, yeah. or are we redrafting?" Right. Them? And because we are redrafting them, I'm obviously sticking a little bit more towards my redraft rankings because these are players who I didn't rank to have the best rookie season. I ranked to right. have the best NFL career, and I think that those four guys are more physically gifted than Naku is. And I still feel that way, even though he's had a ton of success. But I know Walt's pissing me in the chat. He's like, no way you can't have Tank Dell number five. I know, I know, I know. I just, I I didn't know where to put him. He would have been that next in line for me. So. And then the Zay Flowers one is interesting because both me and Steve were lower on Zay Flowers than pretty much everybody out there. And I actually feel really good about my description of Zay Flowers as a player, even if he's been a little bit more productive with it than I expected because... They, he doesn't run real routes in Baltimore, right? They, he's a gimmick receiver at the moment. He's a slot receiver that runs a bunch of shallow drags, uh, the occasional deep ball, and a bunch of, like, um, you know, bubble screen type things. But they know how to do that. Like, Baltimore is an offense now that actually has a role for that. I compared him pre-draft to slot receiver Dante Hall back in the day, right? The human joystick. And I love that comp. And actually, the more he plays, the more I think it was dead on. And my concern with it was Dante Hall as a slot receiver didn't do that much, right? And now the NFL uses that position more and better now. They're better equipped to deal with that. And I think I kind of underestimated how much better they were, right? So I think I nailed the actual uh, comp. I think he is. He's Dante Hall 2.0. But Baltimore is so much better able to use that to maximize what it can do than the Chiefs were back in the day when Dante Hall was their receiver. And so he's been more productive than I expected him to be and probably will be going forward. But I still think it's enough that I wouldn't have him in my top five as a, a redraft. Man, I just the uh, I, I do see where you're coming from with kind of this more gimmicky player because he is not like he's not the route runner that Jordan Addison is, right? I mean, like it's it, it, Jordan Addison is much more of a traditional type of route runner. He route he runs the routes very crisply, very well, but his game is very different than say Flowers is. I, I just it's I'm a sucker for that kind of unique athleticism, and it's worked and it hasn't, right? You give we, we talked about earlier in the show. Kadarius Tony is that type of player, right? Kadarius Tony doesn't really run a lot of these real routes. He's just an insane yards after catch guy at his best, but he's just been way too inconsistent with it. When I looked at Zay Flowers, I thought of the best version of Kadarius Tony, where he wasn't just going to have a lot of these mental mistakes and a lot of these disappearances during games. I thought he was going to be more of that type of a player that you can get the ball in his hands and a lot of magic can happen. So I still believe in that, and that's why i got to keep him in my top five. All right, let's get to quarterbacks, because this is where I think we get some significant change. So my original draft rankings, Bryce Young, number one. I held, had Will Levis as my number two QB. I had Anthony Ooh. Richardson, number three. And I had C.J. Stroud, number four. And then Hendon Hooker was number five. Um, new ranking after 11 weeks, even knowing that 
it's one season. You know, Matthew Stafford had one of the worst rookie seasons of any quarterback in history. I think we've reached the point now where it's impossible not to have C.J. Stroud as the number one quarterback in a, re, in a redraft. Bryce sure. Young's situation is rough, but even projecting, you know, massive bounce back forward, like Stroud has shown all the things that we loved about Bryce Young's game in college. So you have to put him number one at this point. Um, I'm still willing to give Bryce Young the benefit of the doubt and say the situation is awful. He's still my number two guy. And then that basically leaves Will Levis and Anthony Richardson locked in there at three and four. I haven't seen enough from any of those guys that I'm willing to completely change the rankings. But number five is interesting because obviously Hendon Hooker hasn't played. He's coming back from that knee injury. But we have seen other quarterbacks play, um, a lot of them, in fact. And I would say Aiden O'Connell has done enough that you can put him in as the fifth best QB. He has shown the capacity to start games. He's shown the capacity to make big-time plays. And it comes with this roller coaster of bad plays as well, which was always there on his tape. It was a case of where's the balance. But I think we've shown enough from, or seen enough from O'Connell now that minimum you have to say he's got as good a chance as Hendon Hooker to become a starting quarterback somewhere down the line. Our rankings are very similar. I mean, I, I could just get to mine because Let's I think we it. could talk about maybe some of the differences, but our rankings are pretty similar here. Mm-hmm. Um, you got Wait, did I? Uh, am I going? Am I going full robot again? Is that is no, that no, happening? I think you're I good. Just, I think you're good. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Just make just making sure. I don't want to. I don't want the people to have to go through that again. And my uh, my screen jump. So just making sure. All right. So my pre-draft rankings. I had Bryce Young at number one. C.J. Stroud at number two. I had Anthony Richardson at three. I had Will Levis at four, and I had Hendon Hooker at number five. So if we're redrafting it today, I agree. I don't really think that even the people who believe in Bryce Young a lot um, can stand here and not have C.J. Stroud number one with how he is playing. I get that it's a rookie year. I, I You know, you're right. There's a lot of things that can change. A rookie year doesn't define an NFL career, but you got to have C.J. Stroud at number one at this point. I also still gave Bryce Young the benefit of the doubt as that uh, QB2. I just think the, t- the situation in Carolina is terrible, and to be honest, um, I think the rest of it is bad as well, man. Like I, th- I think that the coaching staff isn't right for him. The offensive line's bad. The wide receivers are bad, and he honestly just like I just wrote this recently. He looks like a deer in the headlights. Yeah. He doesn't even look like the same player at Alabama. So I'm hoping that this offseason he, I don't know, has a. Two week darkness retreat, Aaron Rodgers style, and just forgets everything that happened over the last calendar year and gets back to playing the football that we saw him play at Alabama because I still think he's good. Love what I saw from Anthony Richardson in the limited time that we saw with him and Shane Steichen. Uh, I like the potential of Will Levis still, had him in number four, still have him in number four, and I agree completely. Um, I wasn't that jazzed about Hendon Hooker coming into the draft anyways i had him at number five because i think that he was the most viable number five quarterback within the rankings i thought that that was smart pre-draft but now that i've already really seen it from aiden o'connell and i wrote this my in my aiden o'connell scouting report if there's a player that i'm going to take a chance on from the third round on at the quarterback position a guy that i would bet on to become a starter it would be o'connell that's that's the guy that i would bet on and so now that we are seeing Starting caliber moments from him, I think that I'm pretty comfortable putting him at number five. So that is my that is my list. The only real change that I have is I'm flipping Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud because you, you, you have to at yeah. this point. It's basically it's it would be extremely difficult to construct the argument that that doesn't deserve to happen, even if right. you're willing to completely absolve everything we've seen from Bryce Young. Like 
you know, you can point to a lot of quarterbacks that started badly and had rough seasons. Uh, you can point to very few that had worse <laughs> opening seasons than, than Bryce Young has had. Like, we are talking historically bad at this point. Um, but even if you're willing to say that that's just, you know, it's, it's Matthew Stafford's rookie year. Uh, he'll come good. He'll be great down the line. You still have to ignore basically everything you've seen from C.J. Stroud and say not only is he going to be great down the line, but he's going to be better than what we've seen from Stroud, which is already right. extremely good. So, like, you are you have to adjust the rankings from both different sides, right? You have to move Stroud up and bring Young down. The argument for Bryce at this point is him not getting jumped by Richardson, honestly. Like, it, it's, it is less of an argument right. for him being above Stroud, and it's more of him staying above Richardson at this point. Because what we saw from Richardson, it wasn't perfect, but, like, damn, he had some nice moments. And clearly, like, at a physical beast at the top level now in the NFL where he's going to be a difference maker as a runner, he's going to be a difference maker as a passer with how how fast he could throw the ball, how far he could throw the ball. Like, oh, we saw glimpses of all of that where he's still putting it together of course before he got hurt but the reason why you would keep Bryce Young at number two isn't a CJ Stroud argument in my opinion I mean Stroud is playing well enough where what's the argument at this point like even the best version even the best version of Bryce Young as a rookie I don't even think was going to look as good as what we're seeing from CJ Stroud this year the only so it's really so it's what'd you say? The only possible argument you could even construct against CJ Shroud at this point is if you're willing to put 100% of the credit on Bobby Slowick and the system, right? And even I'm not willing to do that as a as a PFF Bobby, you know, fan and friend. I'm not willing to say it's all Bobby. CJ Stroud's just a passenger in this thing. Like it, maybe collectively it's working better than the sum of the parts, but like you can't look at CJ Stroud's tape right now and say he's not elevating the thing as well as the thing right. elevating him. Right. No, I agree. I agree. And and I think you're right. Like, Richardson has a case over uh, Bryce Young. Levis has a case over. Like, we've seen Levis and Bryce Young have the same number of big-time throws, and Levis has done it on about a third of the dropbacks. Like, there's a stronger argument to put either of those guys above Bryce Young based off NFL tape than there is anything else. But we had Bryce Young significantly higher based off college resume. And that still matters, even though we've seen 11 games of the NFL. The, the toughest part for Bryce is is kind of what I said before. Like, he's he's not even the same player that we saw at Bama. Yeah. It, it, it's not like we're getting the Alabama version of him and he's just making more mistakes or playing in a less talented area. Like, he does not even look like the same player. He looks like he's a shell of himself like he's a walking ghost like it just it, he he's staring into the abyss most of the games every time the camera goes on it and so it's it, I, that's the tough part for me and that's why it's really really hard to evaluate the season because i've said on the show before and i've said it many times confidence is so important to play this game it is the it is the key to unlocking all of your talent and all of your potential if you are not a confident football player you're not going to be good i i don't know how many players are playing with less confidence than Bryce Young right now. And so I don't even know how to... People are like, oh, see, I told you he doesn't have the arm strength to do it at the NFL level. He's too small to do it at the NFL level. I can't even tell you whether or not that is or is not the case until I see him try to play more confidently. Honestly. 
because we haven't the second that we get to see Bryce Young like I'm hoping next year he comes out of the gate swinging new man new quarterback playing confident as hell they win I don't know three out of their first four games he's playing well he feels like the man and then he goes up against a really good defense and he's trying to push the ball as as far as he can as fast as he can as confidently as he can and if that ball starts to get picked off all the time then you go okay probably doesn't have the physical ability to play as a starting quarterback at this level. But we don't even get to see that right now. Because instead, he's hesitant with his reads. He's slow with his reads. He doesn't trust himself. He doesn't trust his receivers. He doesn't trust his offensive line. So we're not even seeing his talent right now. We're just seeing a shell of what Bryce Young is supposed to be. And obviously, he's not going to be able to dominate the game physically. He was always going to dominate the game mentally if he was going to ever get to that level. So to me, that's kind of how I'm viewing Bryce Young. And I'm I'm almost just punting this entire year because yeah. you almost have to. He's just not going to be a quarterback that's really fair of evaluation right now. Well, you're right. Yeah, you are, you're either punting on the entire year or you are terrified at what this is doing to him, right? There's, there's two ways of looking at this. Either you say, let's throw it out. It's almost entirely meaningless because the situation is so bad. Or you're like, he is in fact this bad and his entire career is already in jeopardy 11 games into his you know rookie season. Either way, it's not good. Uh, one last sort of drive-by past this. Tommy DeVito is fast becoming my favorite human in the world because on the one hand, you've got the Sopranos memes. Those are all outstanding. Huge fan. Every statistic connected to Tommy DeVito is also amazing. We already talked about how he has the same number of touchdowns as Kenny Pickett. He has the same, he has been sacked the same number of times as CJ Stroud <laughs> on 29% of the dropbacks. He has the Jeez. same number of sacks. His... You know the, the pressure to sack rate? Like wh when you get pressured, how many of those plays become sacks? It's a really quarterback-driven number. The best quarterbacks in the NFL do that at like a 10% rate, right? So it takes 10 pressures for you to actually get taken down and sacked by one of them. Tommy DeVito is currently being sacked on his pressured plays at a rate of 47%, which is like mind-blowing. It's amazing. He's he's like he's just going into every press conference like yeah I'm not trying to be Mahomes just not like everybody else is trying to be Mahomes I'm not trying to be Mahomes I'm just trying to you know get to the next play that's all I'm trying to do don't turn the ball over St don't put it in a risk don't leave the profile. pocket pocket's my home it's yeah. my safe haven I'm going down it's going down with the ship. His statistical profile is just absolutely incredible right now. In addition <laughs> that's awesome. to the uh, in addition to all the memes so. Big fan of Tommy DeVito. Hope he keeps starting. All right, let's wrap this up with a overall top five of rookies so far this season. Um, offense and defense, who have been the most impressive standout performers from you? Uh, I will give you my top five to wrap this up, and then you can give me yours, and we'll have a little bit of a conversation about where we screwed it up. Um, okay. Stroud is the obvious candidate. However, I believe Jalen Carter has had a better start so far than C.J. Stroud. All positions created equal. I'm not giving him bonus points just because it's quarterback. I think Jalen Carter has been the most impressive rookie in the NFL so far through 11 weeks. I do think C.J. Stroud is right there with him. He's number two. Devin Witherspoon, the Seattle Seahawks cornerback, has been spectacular. Love that guy's tape. Brian Branch, I think, is one of the best players in this entire draft. I think he's been awesome for the Lions. And then Puka Nakua at wide receiver. You know, we talked about how you wouldn't necessarily project him as being the best wide receiver going forward. But through 11 weeks, it's pretty hard to argue with what he's done. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with you. Our lists are 
Pretty similar, so I'll just go to mine. I have to have C.J. Stroud at one. Uh, just for, you know, you say, okay, I'm not necessarily taking the quarterback difficulty into into account. It's hard for me to not do that, um, especially given, really, his supporting cast going into the year. I know I know that PFF Bobby has been uh, orchestrating a great offense with him, but uh, we went into the year thinking that this is going to be a rough one for Stroud, and I think that he is truly elevating the entire offense around him. So he's number one for me. I do have Jalen Carter at number two. I think that uh, it's it's got to be one of those two guys for how well they are playing. I agree with you completely. Devon Witherspoon's been an animal since he got back from his injury and since he's been in that starting lineup. He has been incredible. I have Naku at four. His production, it's just been insane. I mean, whether you want to call it, uh, whether I'm being uh, too harsh on the athletic ability or not, like it, just however you slice it, what he has been able to do on that offense, how he's been able to hit the ground running, even from game one, has been incredibly impressive. Then five, I got Will Anderson. Not necessarily like a stat stuffer this year, but I think that his presence has been really great. I think he's a, he's a fantastic three down edge rusher. Um, I think the rest of you know like the the backfield production is going to continue to come, but um, he's putting together a lot of pressures and I think he's playing a lot of really good ball. So I I, I put him at number five. Yeah, Anderson's had a great rookie season so far as well. Absolutely in contention for that top five. Um, did you see, by the way, in the game last night that Jalen Carter almost intercepted a spike? So my immediate thought from that is, why doesn't that happen more often? Like, it's, I think, Sam, I'm I'm 100% honest with you. I think about that all the time. Why don't you try to do this? You know exactly where the ball is going to be. You know exactly what they're doing. Every single time the quarterback spikes the ball like that to stop the clock, you know what's going on. You, like, you know where the ball is going to be. If you're the defensive lineman, why are you not just lining up immediately in between the center's legs and putting your arms out? I don't understand. When, when Jalen Carter did that, I, this is what I did last night. I screamed, yes, because I know that he didn't get it, but somebody actually tried it. I, it was... Obviously brilliant by Jalen Carter, but to be honest with you, man, I don't know why more people don't do this. It's it, if he catches that football, <laughs> even if like even if the ball like hits his arm and happens to bounce up and then he catches it or whatever, yeah. the game's over. I just can't I I can't believe more people do not do this. I cannot believe it is not taught to do this for nose tackles. So Grady Jarrett. Um Grady Jarrett actually did it one time. But he, like, drove through the A-gap, I think, or the B-gap, maybe. Like, he, he didn't dive between the center's legs. Like, that was the most impressive part of this play. Shortest distance, baby. Right. Straight line. Like, Garrett sort of plowed his way through the line and just sort of, like, bundled hold of the ball before the quarterback had really had a chance to, to spike it properly. Um, but... The thing that made this play so insane was that he just dived straight through the center's legs and was like lying there with his hands under where the ball was about to land. And it struck me as that like it's such a low percentage play, but I absolutely love it. It's like even if you get in position, it's like the, you know, when defensive linemen like pick off a pass that they're just trying to bat down. Like you, not only do you have to put yourself in the position, but the ball then needs to stick once it hits your hands, which is just such right. a small percentage thing but the fact that he did it by diving clean through the center's legs and just having his hands there like ready to catch it if that had actually come off it would have been one of the best plays in nfl history i again it that's a difference some like that th th you seal the game if you get that interception so 
These defensive linemen, they got massive hands. They got massive forearms. All you got to do is follow the ball. The second the ball goes backwards. And the thing is that when quarterbacks spike the ball, when they get the handoff, they like take one step back, but then they raise the ball up to try to fire it down very quickly. It's not like the second it touches their hands, they just like, but like it's immediately on the ground. A lot of them, they'll get the, the, the spike and they'll wind up a little bit. So you got a little bit of time to get your hands in there because his hands, if I remember correctly, they weren't late. No, he it just was there. Didn't, it just didn't happen to hit his hands. Yeah, he was so, basically in position. You got to just teach the technique, right? Go in, have the arms like this, like together. Just have them together. And if the ball happens to hit your forearm, it's going to bounce off your forearm and it's not going to hit the ground. And all you got to do is just put your hands on it. Game's over. I do feel like it's a thing that once an offensive line's actually expecting it, it has dramatically less chance of occurring. Like, yeah, well, I mean, Creed Humphrey's just gonna like literally fall and right. sit on, just him. belly flop on him. Like that. Probably but I guess that it, doesn't really matter, right? I mean, it probably makes still, it more like, difficult. If to Creed catch Humphrey something. is laying on top of him and he still catches the football, it's still a pick. I've never tried it, but I feel like trying to catch a football with a three hundred and twenty pound man lying on top of you is way more difficult than it is without that happening. I wouldn't disagree with you, I also, but I by still the way, don't think it's impossible. I also, by the way, have no intention of trying it, even if Steve makes it to three. I was going to say, that pounds. could be the next like charity challenge yeah, that you guys do. Not doing you know? that. Even if Steve reaches three bills plus, I'm not I'm not experimenting with that. I don't, I, no, not doing it. Just not I feel doing like it. just like height, mass alone, he's got to be close. You know? so he's, he's, yeah, he's... Uh, he fluctuates in weight, apparently, right? When you're that, I mean, I mean we, okay, sure, we all, all of us sure. do, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. But but the number becomes bigger when you're his size, right? So you and I, I'm sure, fluctuate in weight as well. But it's like five pounds here or there, right? Steve fluctuates <laughs> right. in weight a much bigger number than that because he's a much larger individual than that. And these chairs that we're sitting on here in the studio have to be certified to withstand three bills worth of weight because the previous ones were not and they no longer work as chairs because Steve has systematically broken them all. So, yeah, he he pushes three bills in his in his bad moments, right? Look, I that I was just happy that somebody actually went for it because I think about that move yes. all the time. So, the fact that you had Jalen Carter at number 1 on this list, even just for that move last night, Worth it. I'll accept it. All right. That's our show for today. Uh, We will be back tomorrow, myself and Steve, doing our week preview because it's Thanksgiving week. We're going to do it a day early, so the Thanksgiving games are all done. Tomorrow will be the monster show, and then no Thursday or Friday show. We will be back on Monday doing every game from the week. So happy Thanksgiving to everybody out there. Thank you so much for listening and watching along. We love all you guys, and we will see you on Monday. No, tomorrow. Tomorrow.